Well, um, we've been in a series on the book of Philippians called uh, Lessons from Lockdown for, um, well, it's our summer series. And really, just when Mike and I, Mike's my friend in uh, Minneapolis, and we, um, we, we plan our sermon series together, we originally were looking at going to do 1 Corinthians for the summer, but then, uh, you know, everything happened, uh, COVID uh, came, and, and it really kind of shook, I think, everyone up, and kind of sort of redirected what we were thinking about. And, and the reason that we originally chose Philippians is because it's Paul's in lockdown. He's, he's in more of a lockdown than we are. And he's, he's trying to make sense of the joy that he has in the midst of an absolute crazy crisis that's going on uh, around him and in his life. Um, and I think, you know, la- uh, last week we, we talked a little bit about um, Jesus' self-emptying, and I'll mention that in a second. Uh, but I, I think one of the things that's, ah, I think, really challenging for us right now is we're in the middle of this, these topsy-turvy, crazy times. And a lot of us are trying to stick to our guns. And it feels like the craziness is never going to end. It feels like sticking to our guns is not going to benefit at all. And we're kind of looking for a win. And if that's where you are, you're in some place where you've been trying to persevere, stick with it, you know? And you're wondering, God, are you going to show up? Like, what's going to happen here? Well, this, uh, this message is for you. Let's, um, let's read the text. Uh, we're going to be focusing on the last three verses. We did um, the beginning of this text last week. If you missed it, uh, check it out online because uh, it'll help contextualize what we're doing. Uh, but, but this is uh, the so-called uh, Christ hymn of Philippians 2, 5 to 11. Let the same mind be in you, Philippians, that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not re- regard equality with God as a treasure to be hoarded. Instead, he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave and being born into human experience. Then, finding himself in human, human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, and this is where we're, we're going to be today, God also highly exalted him and graced him with the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess, Lord Jesus Christ, to the glory of God the Father. Well, last week we saw that, uh, that, that Jesus, he emptied himself. He poured out uh, himself a lot of the advantages of being God, right? And, and, he, and Paul sets on three things that we talked about last week. Jesus emptied himself of his status, right? Jesus, you know, eternal God, right? Equal, equal to God, and yet, and yet comes in the form of a slave. So he, he dumps out his status. He dumps out his security. He's born into human uh, experience. And if you're curious about that translation, check us out last week um, so I can ex- I explain uh, why we translate this way. But, but Jesus is born in a way where he's vulnerable, right? This is God who doesn't need to be vulnerable, but, but he empties himself of that, of that and, and takes on human nature. He empties himself of sovereignty, uh, you might say autonomy. Okay, Jesus, he, he's obedient, Paul says. He's obedient, obedient, obedient. What? To the point of death, even death on a cross. So he takes all of the things that, uh, ironically, we as human beings seek. 
Jesus, you know, the eternal son has them eternally in fullness, and he dumps them out of himself. He dumps them out so he can, he can complete the mission of saving the world. And what's crazy is Paul says, let this same mind be in you. I want you, Philippians, I want you, Coast Bible Church, to be on the same path of dumping out your, your search for status, getting rid of your need for security, b- being okay with not being autonomous and, and in charge of your own destiny. Like, these are the basic things that human beings desire. And Paul's saying, I want you to let go. Well, you know, so in our, in our text today, 9 to 11, he begins with what? Therefore. Paul says, therefore. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's pretty emphatic in the Greek, the way that, that he says it. But basically, he's like, he's like all that's, that's gone before. And I want you to think about why the, the things have changed now. And the reason is, when Jesus comes, right? When Jesus comes, everyone mistakes who he is. Right? Everyone's like, they're waiting for this warrior king to come. And Jesus comes as a carpenter. And, and so, and, and so, all the people that he meets, even his closest disciples, really don't see him for him until after. He's, there's a massive case of mistaken identity because Jesus has, has gotten rid of the status, the security, the sovereignty, uh, or not gotten rid of it, but, but emptied a lot of it out. And so it's, it's hard for people to recognize him. And it's the same today. If, there, if you're outside of the church, and sometimes even inside the church, I think there's about four different ways that we look at Jesus. And I've got some pictures for you. Up there on the top left is Jesus, the, the rebel. There's even pictures of Jesus with like a Che Guevara hat on, on the Google search. But I didn't want to put that out because I was like, that's too far. But it's like the idea of being like, Jesus is this radical who's going around changing the world. He's upsetting the man. You know, he's like turning over the tables. And he's a, he's a disruptor and he brings about change. In the bottom left, you have, you know, the, the end is near, the religious fruitcake, Right? A lot of people think that Jesus was a nut job because Jesus came and he said, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. They're like, really? And then he's like, by the way, the kingdom of heaven is hand, at hand. And people are like, well, is it? I mean, it doesn't seem like the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Academics, uh, we like Jesus as the philosopher. They say that um, when you start studying Jesus, uh, it's like looking down into a well. And then you look down and then you see your own reflection. And that's the Jesus that you make. This is especially true of academics and professors. They make Jesus out to be this, this wise sage who had these incredible words of wisdom. And he taught people a better way to live. In the bottom there, we have Buddy Jesus. That's Jesus helping you learn how to swing a baseball bat. This is the Jesus who, you've got problems, Jesus is there to help you solve them. This is Jesus who's your friend. He's loving, he's tender, he's kind. Now, to some extent, except for the religious nut, I kind of agree that these are all aspects of Jesus. Jesus did turn things upside down. He is with us. He has been tender and gracious. He did teach a better way to live, a way to truly be in keeping with God's you know, ways. But that's not all he is. And because he came the way he came, people only see this, only see this in Jesus. They don't see the whole picture. And so what does God do? God, the therefore, God, Paul's like, so God had to do something. 
God had to do something to show who Jesus really was. Going back to the text, God also highly exalted him and graced him with the name that is above every name. Most translations will say uh, highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every other name. I don't love that because it almost sounds like there's like a, a transaction going on, right? Like Jesus does all this stuff. He humbles himself and he, he does these things. And then God's like, good job, Jesus. I'm going to give you the name that's above every other name. That's not the Greek. The Greek uh, is charisma. It's a, it's, uh, it has the same root as the word grace. And it does mean graciously give. And so I've translated it as grace. And the idea is, is that this isn't something that Jesus earned. God didn't, God didn't say, you earned this and so I'm going to give you your, your reward. The, the, the idea is rather that God is bestowing on Jesus something that nobody's seen. That nobody understood. They didn't see that Jesus was this. This name. What name is it? Verse 11, and every tongue should confess, Lord Jesus Christ. Again, a little bit of translation here. Uh, Normally you'll see it, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, which is nice in English, but Paul doesn't use the word is. Uh, He he omits that. And more importantly, he puts Lord or Kyrios first. He wants to emphasize this is what's important about the name of Jesus, that Jesus is Lord, Lord Jesus Christ. And so I've omitted the haughty that's that, and then I put Lord Jesus Christ in quotes. It's, I think, much better gets the, the, the tenor of the Greek. Every tongue's going to confess, Lord Jesus Christ. Why does that matter? Well, Lord's an interesting word. Uh, kurios in Greek. Um, you may know this or you may not, but uh, J- Jewish people um, in the first century and before were very... Um, they're very superstitious about the personal name of God, Yahweh. And so they would never say it. It's called the Tetragrammaton. In fact, still to this day, most um, observant Jews don't say Yahweh. Uh, they, they, instead, they say something else. They'll say usually Avani in Hebrew. Avani is the Hebrew word for Lord. Now, you may or may not know this, but when they translated the Old Testament from Hebrew into Greek, the Jewish scholars who did that in Alexandria, they had this, they, they wanted to make sure that they preserved this, um, this, in Hebrew, you're reading it and you see the word, the letters, the Hebrew letters that, that spell Yahweh. What they did is they put in, um, the, the, the vowel sounds of Avani so that the person who's reading would, instead of saying Yahweh, they'd see the vowels for Avani and they'd say Avani instead of Yahweh. The translators wanted to preserve that, and so they, they translated it from the, uh, the Hebrew into the Greek in Alexandria, and they used the word kurios, Lord, instead of Yahweh. So every time in the Old Testament where it says Lord in the capital letters, if you read it, it's like all caps Lord, that's, uh, that's the translators putting in uh, kurios, or the, in Hebrew, the, uh, al- the, uh, the vowel sounds for Adonai, so that you don't say Yahweh. Well, that's a long way of explaining uh, what happened. By the time uh, that Paul comes around, by the time Jesus comes around, if you said kurios to Jewish people, they didn't hear Lord. They didn't hear King. They didn't hear Lord at all. In their heart of hearts, they heard Yahweh, God of Israel.
And what this means is, is that when early Christians gave Jesus the title Lord, they were calling him God. And so Paul says that, that, that the Father bestows on this human man the, the very divinity, the, the, the name of the divinity of God. So that when people say Jesus, they don't just think Jesus. They don't just think like this cool guy, this awesome philosopher. They don't think a religious nut. They don't think any of those things. They think God, Yahweh, the liberating, powerful, righteous God of Israel. And so, um, the first thing in your note sheets. Resurrection and ascension, ascension reveal Jesus as Lord, sharing the nature of Israel's God. Just as an aside, uh, this is sort of important if you deal with um, atheists a lot, because they'll tell you that uh, early Christians didn't think that Jesus was God. Uh, but that's nonsense, because by calling Jesus Lord, they were basically calling him Yahweh. And that's one of the reasons that early Jewish non-believers um, tried to execute Christians as blasphemers, because they acknowledged that Jesus was God. Anyway, but let's go back. So, so first, we acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, right? That's the name above all names. He's Yahweh. He's God. He has all the power of the divinity. But this isn't something God gave him. It's something he always had. He's just revealed that through his resurrection and ascension. Going back to the text. Every knee should bend. Every tongue should confess. Paul's not just making this up as he's going along. He's actually quoting from Isaiah 45. It's a, it's a prophecy, and I have it here. Um, I have the text up, yeah. This is from Isaiah 45, uh, verse 22. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. I am God, there's no other. I've sworn a solemn pledge. A word has left my mouth. It's reliable and won't fail. Surely every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. What will they say? Justice and power. In other translations, righteousness and strength. This is better for reasons I'm not going to go into right now. Come only from Yahweh. There it is, Lord in caps. Only Yahweh. But you'd say Adonai in Hebrew, and you'd say Kurios in Greek. All who are angry with him will become to shame. All the Israelites will be victorious and rejoice. Well, if you... I mean, I even have it there. Pew Bibles, page 30, 383. Uh, they may be riddled with COVID-19, so it's a... You may not want to pull them out, but if you're brave and you pull them out, and I hope that there's no COVID, and you read this chapter, it's a fascinating chapter. It's got uh, God basically calling out all these powerful nations and saying, Egypt, you know, uh, Cyrus the Great, I think, who, I can't remember where he was from, but like Assyria or something. And it, all of you guys who, you, you have all this power and you're, you think you're so great, there's going to come a day where you're going to find out you're wrong. And you're all going to come, all you mighty princes, all you rulers, you're going to come and you're going to acknowledge that I, Yahweh, am the only real God. I'm the one who owns, I'm the real justice. I'm the real power. Ironically, and I think the reason that Paul's picking up on this is because if you look at verse 15 in this chapter, uh, what they're going to say, like the king of Egypt's going to be like, you must be the hidden God because it looked like we were in control. And now it turns out that you're in control, which is very similar to Paul's thinking about Jesus. Jesus was hiding his divinity, right? He'd, he was humiliated, he was shamed, he was lowly, and yet at the same time, he's king and lord. What does this mean? Paul's point, and the point 
that Isaiah is making is that there's a lot of people with a lot of power in the world. For Jews and, and, and for Paul in the first century and earlier, there were people like these. I've got some of the people with power. There's Augustus, top left, uh, Nebuchadnezzar in the middle, Alexander the Great, bottom left, uh, Cyrus uh, of Persia, Cyrus of Persia, I think that's right, uh, on the right there. These are all great, mighty kings, and they ran roughshod. I mean, living in the ancient world was awful, like it was very violent, life was cheap. And these, and these rulers, they were the ones who were supposed to administer justice, but they never did. They protected themselves. They were supposed to use their power to help people, but they didn't. They self-aggrandized. Fortunately, we've moved beyond the ancient way of doing things. We live in a constitutional republic, a democracy where the people have the power. So you are not subject any longer to the whims of great people like these. You're free. (laughs) When Jesus rises from the dead and ascends to the right hand of the Father, he's revealed as the king. And Trump's not the king. Neither is Fauci. Newsom, Cuomo. These guys might think that they're kings. Cyrus thought he was a king. Augustus thought he was a king. They thought they had power. They thought they ruled. And every one of these great men will be on a bended knee right next to you when the Lord returns in his glory. The real question is not going to be whether or not these people kneel. The question is how much they're going to hate it. For us, The one who brings real justice. The one who brings real power. The king we've been waiting for. But for many, a rude awakening. Because they, they, they didn't follow the way of Jesus, a lot of, a, lot of peace, a lot of these people, a lot of these rulers, Cyrus and Augustus. They didn't follow Jesus' way. They either didn't know or they didn't believe. And so they, they, they spent their time accruing status, glory for themselves. They spent their time accruing security, right? They, they made themselves safe in their, in their walled fortresses. They spent their time accruing a sense of rulership, sovereignty, autonomy, the ability to do what they want and make others do what they tell them. And for people like that, It is going to be very, very difficult to meet the real king. It's the next thing here, no cheese. 
resurrection and ascension expose all earthly rulers as subjects. Paul's especially, this is so important for the Philippians because the Philippians are very much in a, in a pressured environment where they're constantly being pressured to bend the knee to Caesar. That's like their biggest problem. And the people around them are suspicious of them because they don't want to bend the knee to Caesar because they don't think Caesar's the real king. And Paul's saying, guess what? Hang in there. Don't quit. Don't retreat. Don't surrender. Because there's going to come a day when their knees will bow. You stay loyal. You stay a faithful witness to the real king and let God worry about the earthly rulers. But Paul, uh, you'll notice that Paul, he, he adapts the prophecy from Isaiah 45. He adds something in the middle of it, right? In Isaiah 45, it just says, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and goes on. Paul has an insertion, so go back to the text. Paul says, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. It's hard to know exactly what he means by this, but I mean, you could probably sum it up in like all beings. He might be referring to the dead. Uh, He's certainly referring to, when he talks about um, in heaven, he's referring to all divine beings, right? Uh, and, And specifically, probably what he has in mind are angels and demons, We, of course, don't, uh, most people don't believe in angels and demons anymore. That's uh, silly um, because we've got science. Um, but that was a big deal in the, in the, in the ancient world. They, they very much believed that there were these invisible forces that kind of controlled destinies, that made things happen. Um, so I got a picture of uh, the, uh, the devil there. The, um, on the right, this is a common theme in the medieval era. Like the devil makes these deals with people like, I'll give you all this stuff if you just bow to me. On the left there, you got uh, you know Zeus and Hera, the Greek um, god and goddess, and they're kind of in charge. But that, of course, that's 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 ridiculous. Obviously, there's no there's no invisible you know, things floating around, right? That'd be that'd be that'd be crazy. George Floyd died what May twenty fifth, I think. Um, it's been like six seven weeks since uh, George Floyd died. I was on a call. We were, I was doing sermon planning with Mike, and Mike is in Minneapolis. He uh, so he was, you know, seeing very firsthand um, the the kind of response to this thing. And he calls me up, and he's like, "Hey, man, did you see this this thing about George Floyd?" And I said, "I'd, I'd read something about it, but I hadn't, you know, watched the video." And he's like, "You got to watch the video. This is going to be bad." So I did. I, w- I went home. I watched the video, and it was horrifying. Um, and for those of you who haven't seen it, I don't recommend it. It's very sad. Um, but, you know, we were talking after I'd watched the video, and I, and I was like, you know, I, I'm really, I know that this, there's, this is going to lead to a major outpour of emotion, of grief, of anger, rage. But, I mean, I think, you know, I think there might be an opportunity here. There might be something here where we can, as a nation and as a culture, uh, step back and say, hey, how is policing going? Do we need to, you know, maybe rethink some things? Um, or, or not, you know, maybe, maybe this, but at least we can sit down and have, you know, a conversation. And, and, and also, you know, the, the plight of 
of black and brown people? Like, uh, you know, are, are, they, are they treated equally? Do they, you know, this will be an, an, an excellent opportunity for us to think through some of these issues and, and maybe hopefully come to some kind of unity and, and to, to bring some sides together and, and really work towards more justice and more unity and more peace. Top left is uh, John Tiggs. Next slide, please. There was a, um, I think he was in Chicago. There was a store that was being robbed um, by rioters, and he uh, he went into the store to try and stop them, and they shot him twice and killed him. Bottom left is uh, David uh, McAtee. He uh, is from Louisville, Kentucky, Louisville. He was a restaurant owner. Um, We still don't know what happened, uh, but police say that he fired a shot. Uh, That's in a lot of dispute. Um, And he was uh, killed by a police officer. Um, On the bottom right is uh, Chris Beatty. He was a a football star for the Hoosiers in Indiana. And uh, they, they called him Mr. Indianapolis. He's a, a business owner and, and a manager of some things. And uh, during one of the, the nights, um, some, some looters were accosting a woman uh, trying to steal her purse uh, below his apartment. So he went down, and just before midnight, uh, they shot him several times and killed him. On the top right is, um, uh, what's her name? Miss Taylor? So, 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 I'm sorry? I can't hear you. Sicornia, yeah. Um, she was eight years old. Uh, she, her family was going to the, uh, the store next to that Wendy's that, um, where Rayshard, Rayshard Brooks was uh, shot, and um, she was caught in gunfire and killed. We, uh, depending on who you ask, we have already had um, 26 to 40 deaths, and higher depending on how you want to count it, um, directly related to violence that's taken place uh, in the wake of in the wake of what could have been a moment for our country to rethink some things. And you want to tell me there's no demons in the world? You want to tell me that the enemy isn't out seeking to sow division, violence, and chaos, and fire? You want to tell me that's just a fairy tale? Well, how is it that a country was completely united in desiring justice for a man turned into what we've turned into in the last six weeks? Right now, the enemy is exulting in the blood and fire. But the enemy will kneel too. And the enemy will confess Lord Jesus Christ. And there will be justice. 
And there will be unity, but it's going to be unity under the cross of Christ, under the kingship of the true Lord. And all of the people who enjoy being manipulated by the enemy, who, who follow through and just, and just enjoy the blood and the violence and the chaos, they too will kneel. And they too will say, Lord Jesus Christ. And in the resurrection of the dead, we will see true justice. The next thing in your note sheets is um, resurrection and ascension promise the end of demonic power. And I, and I should add, um, and those who allow themselves and even glory in, um, in being subverted by it. And what's it all for? What's it all for? Well, Paul ends with this. All of this, the kneeling, the confessing, the exalting of the Lord as true king, all to the glory of God the Father. You see, Paul understands what's happened. What's happened is that Jesus was humiliated, right? Death on a cross, the worst kind of death. I got a picture of Jesus humiliated here on, on the left, Jesus, the, I mean, he would have been naked, really. Like, the, the, there would have probably been a loincloth. He would have been exposed and shamed as he bled out and probably suffocated to death. And, and, and everyone was laughing at him, spitting on him. Who are this guy? What a joke. You're the king of the Jews. Get down off the cross. And he doesn't, and he dies, and he expires. And everyone looks, and they're like, ha, ha, ha. And Paul says, Jesus was at the lowest you can possibly be. And now he's at the highest. And so when God allows this to happen, people are going to look. They're going to see the one who was crucified, the one who was shamed, set up king of the universe. And they're going to say, God is righteous. God is just. God doesn't leave people in the grave. He doesn't leave them on the cross. He, he vindicates. He takes them and says, no, this was the one. And if you missed it, you missed it. But he's vindicated. He's Lord. He's shown to be the king. And people are going to look at that and be like, Wow. Even death on a cross can be redeemed. God's glory is glory beyond anything we can imagine. Well, do you remember what Paul began with? He said, let this same attitude, the same mind be in you. You Philippians, I want you to do the same thing. Jesus gave up his status, his security, his sovereignty. And then what happened? He was exposed as, as glorious, as Lord. Philippians, you're not Jesus, but you're his followers. If you stick to your guns and you're willing to give up your status and your security and your sovereignty, even to the point of death, even though you might be humiliated and laughed at, even though people might make fun of you and call you a bigot and a homophobe and a transphobe and every kind of phobe there is, even though people will, will denigrate you and tear you down, if you're willing to give it up, if you're willing to say, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, then guess what? You too will experience his glory.
You won't be left humiliated. You won't be left exposed and, and shamed. You won't be left weak. Jesus is, is the, the foretaste of what's to come. All of the things that you're suffering now, heck, God might even fix it while you're alive. But even if he doesn't, I guarantee you that you too will rise. And you too will be glorious. You will reign. You will rule with him. And the people who thought they had the power and the demonic forces and all, the, all those who have to be shoved down to bend the knee, who have to have the, the confession of Jesus as Lord pulled out of their mouths, they will be your subjects. And you will be glorious. And everyone will look and say, God is good. So no retreat, baby. No surrender. The Philippian church was called not to bend the knee to Caesar, but to bend the knee to Christ. Coast Bible Church is called not to bend the knee to Caesar, whoever may be Caesar these days, but to bend the knee to Christ. To live not by the lies that we're inundated by. Not to live by the falsehoods and the mistruths and the deceptions, and, but instead to be held fast to the truth of God's word and the coming glory. I don't know what it is. There's something in everyone's life here and as a congregation where, where we're being pulled. Say, oh, just, just, just make this compromise. Just, just go this way. Just, you need this status. You need this security. You need this autonomy, this sovereignty. You need these things to be happy and to be successful and to be fulfilled. You know, they, they, if you don't have them, you won't be all the things that you ought to be. And, and, and we're being pulled. And, and, and Paul is crying out, saying, hold fast. No quarter. No retreat, baby. No surrender. Because I promise you, you will be vindicated too. You will be vindicated too. And on that day, all will glorify God the Father, whether they want to or not. That's the last thing in your note sheets. Jesus' vindication glorifies God, and so will ours. Hold fast. No retreat, baby. No surrender. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we praise you for your Son, the eternal Word who emptied himself of so many advantages. to fit into humanity and to, com- and to fulfill the mission of representing us to you, of saving us, redeeming us from sin and death, conquering the powers, bringing your life to our lives. And we praise you, Jesus, high and exalted one. Lord Jesus,
Messiah. Eternal King. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for empowering us to follow our King. For giving us the courage and the unity not to quit, not to surrender, not to give quarter, not to live by lies, and not to bend the knee. But instead to remember who our King is and to serve Him faithfully. May we be empowered to do just that this week and every other. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.